Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Imagine screaming your head off in a band for nearly 30 years. Bobby Bray of The Locust has been shrieking and freaking out for longer than a lot of us have been alive. Well, not me. I would have been in my early 20s when The Locust started, but I'm old. How does that amount of screaming affect people? Is it beneficial or detrimental? Bobby believes it's the former and considers screaming in punk bands a form of preventative therapy. I agree. When Bobby comes back from tour, he finds it easier to deal with problems in his life because he's already let his stress out and feels like he can breathe. Although he's never been diagnosed with a mental health condition, Bobby has a keen interest in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Illnesses. By now, you know I hate that word. I wonder what the world would look like if everyone took the time to learn about mental health and offer their own opinions and theories about it. Maybe people wouldn't be so hesitant to talk about mental health issues if they follow Bobby's lead. I'm Bobby Bray. I am in a band called The Locust. I'm in a couple other bands, one called Holy Molar that doesn't play anymore. I'm in a band called INUS, which is an acronym for the Institute for Navigating the Universal Self. I also have a solo project called Hank that I'm hopefully going to do a debut release at some point. Yeah, so I play guitar and scream in The Locust. And I play guitar and sing and sometimes scream in in us. So thank you for inviting me, Jason, to this podcast. I find it really fascinating. I think it's a cool idea. I know for myself, I've certainly spent a good portion of my life and I guess professional career screaming my head off. <laughs> um, and it's been interesting. So yeah, The Locust started back in 1994. And so I've been screaming ever since then. Over the years, I've definitely thought this many times. It actually can be a preventative therapy, the screaming thing. And I actually noticed it going on tours, doing a bunch of screaming, scream my head off every night, come home, and whatever, normal life situations get thrown at you, adverse situations, things you don't want to happen, whatever, frustrating events. I was always fine with it because the thought was I already got it out of my system before it happened. I personally believe that screen therapy as an idea can also be a preventative measure. Back in the day, you get a crappy job and then you go on a tour and you quit that crappy job and you come back and you get a new crappy job. And oftentimes said crappy job would have frustrating moments if you like some customer service aspect of it and someone's yelling at you. 
my coworkers having problems with that. And for me, I'm just like, whatever, it's cool. I've already dealt with this. I've already got it out of my system. I screamed my head off for a month in a row, so I'm good. How does it feel when you are screaming in the moment during the shows? Is there a release? Do you feel anything or is it more the after effects? So during a show, there's there's a lot of variables going on. Obviously, there's adrenaline. There's trying to keep things technically accurate. The Locust, you know, there's a lot of songs where I kind of really got to concentrate on certain parts. But the screaming aspect of it, you know, as I'm switching pedals and like we're doing time signature changes and simultaneously screaming, absolutely is, is a release. Maybe it balances out the stress of trying to do all of the right things at the right moment. And then it's like scream therapy happens, gets me back to normal status. <laughs> I mean, I certainly let it go. I mean, I always scream at top volume. It's probably not good for my throat, but with a microphone, it's like, I wouldn't necessarily have to scream at top volume, but it's just sort of like my own approach to screaming is that I'm always just putting as much as I possibly can into it, including volume coming out of me. And it certainly does feel like a release. Yeah. When you guys are first starting The Locust, what was the discussion or was there a discussion? Was it just like, we're here to scream our heads off, we're going to do this? Or was there some discussion around the idea of what effect it might have on you or the people that you're playing to? I mean, we were certainly influenced by other bands. There was a band called Crossed Out. There was a band called Drop Dead also. And there was actually a really uh, personally influential five-inch record that they did a split. There was certainly a lot of screaming on the Drop Dead side. There was a handful of screaming bands. I mean, I think back actually to like Napalm Death Scum. Maybe the origin of the scream and the blast beat. So there were these these influences prior, and a lot of it actually was just kind of like doing what it felt right to scream and the subject matter and, and sort of like critique of political critique of what was going on. And these things seemed right. There wasn't really like a discussion of, okay, what we should do is scream. It was just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to scream. Of course, obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah, in terms of the origin of it. Was there a lot of songs that were personal issues that you're trying to get out into the world love songs <laughs> we divided up the singing and we divided up the lyric writing also a lot of the songs uh certainly were like figuring out life you know and being a human being on this planet and you, you deal with things you deal with politics you deal with uh, personal politics a couple of the songs i wrote so like how to build a pessimistic lie detector sort of cryptic but also how to build a pessimistic light detector. It's like self-sabotaging where you're going to look at things in a negative way. You start to then question everybody around you and you start to say, I can't trust this person or whatever. You have to be sure to have facts behind you and not just prejudge people. Dealing with those kind of issues leads to a song like that. 
another song, 23 Lubed Up Schizophrenics with Delusions of a Grandeur is another one that I wrote, touching upon not only just the personal, but the collective aspect of things. Maybe a little bit of uh, questioning things that might not be explained by science quite yet. I don't know. Can there be groups of people that may have or may have not been diagnosed as quote unquote schizophrenic and then do these people band together and maybe everyone that's in the band and maybe everyone who likes the music is also can be classified as that you know of course this is like in my earlier years yeah yeah i was gonna ask how things have changed for you when you look back on the lyrics that you've written probably hundreds of songs do you see things that poke out as far as pointing to mental health related issues or you've done a lot of reading and studying around the mental health field with more years on the planet comes wisdom hopefully so now in my 40s looking back at stuff i wrote in my 20s like those song titles i just mentioned back then is more kind of exploratory nowadays yeah after reading more and having the dsm4 is a book that i own you know the diagnostic statistical manual for mental illness I've never been diagnosed or anything with anything, but just out of interest of the field in college, taking a bunch of psychology classes. I guess looking back, I maybe would have changed a couple things here and there, you know, maybe be a little bit more sensitive, I would say, because it is a really, it's a touchy subject. There's certainly a lot of people that suffer from mental illness. And the hope is that, you know, people can be helped with actual talk therapy and that there are ways that people can get through tough issues they're dealing with. Looking back, we could have been a little bit more sensitive about that subject uh, with the lyric writing, although none of it was too crazy. <laughs> Maybe not a right choice of word right there, but... <laughs> I've often thought about screaming, and I've done some reading, which I don't necessarily agree with, around the benefits and the detriments of screaming. And I wonder, I mean, you've screamed every night for how long, but that pervasive thought that this actually could be doing some harm. Oh, That's an interesting thought. Could it actually be doing harm? Um, I've often been concerned about the way I scream. Like I don't scream for my diaphragm. It's very much like in my throat is where I'm controlling the timbre of my scream. And I've always been like concerned about, oh my gosh, is there like some muscles somewhere in my throat that are like getting so big that it could eventually like cause me to choke or something? And so I've, you know, asked my doctor this semi recently and they're like, there's no way that that's possible. Like it just doesn't work that way. There's not some muscle that's going to get too big and close up your throat. Don't worry. So, I mean, in terms of like the potential detrimental things, the, the physical aspects were something I've been concerned with, which apparently are fine. But in terms of like the mental aspects of it, I, there's sort of that thought of like, oh, if you scream or if you're in, in a band that plays aggressive music or something, then you are therefore going to be more aggressive. Kind of like if you watch, I don't know, if you play video games that have a lot of weapons, then you're going to go and shoot a bunch of people or something. You know, okay, maybe there's some of that that happens in the world. I mentioned Drop Dead. So they're a band, they scream, a lot of screaming. But the singer, Bob Otis, if you ever meet him, he's like such a sweetheart. One of the nicest guys, he's super like a sweetheart dude. And it's this weird thing. It's just like you meet people that they scream a lot and they're actually really nice people. I always found that fascinating. You know, same thing even with metal bands, people like outside our bubble, outside of our music scenes and stuff. Oh, they're going to come in here. They're going to be violent. Actually, they're probably nicer than the normal average person. Yeah, and I agree. I was being devil's advocate with that last question, but studies have proved that angry music does not make angry people. 
that watching violent images does not make someone violent. When you walk into a show, if you don't know what's going on, and you see your band are all screaming and they're wearing wild costumes, I can see someone being like, oh my God, this is a dangerous place. These people are going to hurt me. And I think you're totally right. So many people in the punk scene that I've met who are the most extreme, quote unquote, are some of the nicest folks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. I remember noticing that in my early 20s. And I was just like, huh, it makes good sense. I mean, it's this preventative therapy idea. It's something that should be maybe addressed in the DSM. Although the way the DSM is structured, I don't think they would ever do that. They should make another book. One of the things that I was reading about, because I'm also writing a book called Scream Therapy, and there's these kinds of therapy. One was by Art Yanoff called Primal Therapy, where they basically right. get put into this room and they get a stuffed animal and a pillow and it's just like scream and beat it up and get all angry and it's supposed to release tension. But I think a big part of why the punk scene and music where people are screaming and letting out these emotions is because there's actually a reason for it, that they're either targeting it towards somebody or within themselves. I would absolutely agree with that, that there's definitely targeted things that are happening. You know, a lot of hardcore bands, certainly, and a lot of bands screaming about certain things in politics or certain politicians. But ultimately, really, I think at a more fundamental level, to me, this really reminds me of the first law of thermodynamics, which is that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It just changes form. So my day job, I teach at a school, the Recording Arts Center at Studio West, so audio production. And in those fields, that law comes up a lot, like how far can sound propagate through air molecules and all those kinds of things. The first law of thermodynamics, energy can't be created nor destroyed, it just changes form. The world of psychology has, you know, it's hard to introduce that sort of idea, but ultimately I think human emotions kind of work the same way. Something bad happens to you, you now have it contained inside of your human meat self. So screaming is a way to like counteract that same energy. It's just changing it from one form instead of like housing it and keeping it in. Something horrible happened to you as a child, something bad happened to you in your job, whatever adverse thing that happened in stress. your life. Stress, just stress, yeah. And if you don't release it, if you don't have some outlet to get rid of it, then it seems that it could stay with you. And so it just seems to follow that fundamental law. Totally, because expression is another thing that a lot of folks that have mental health issues or trauma, even stress that's building up from life situations, if they're not able to talk about it at the very base level or express it in an emotional or even physical way, screaming is a good example of that on the very extreme end of things, then it just sits and it's not going to, like you said, turn into something else or create a different energy. I would think that people who get super stressed out and then like eventually do, you know, really bad things like shootings or something when probably got to a point where there was no outlet for that person. Obviously, I'm not a doctor or psychologist, but when I think about it, it's like, well, hmm, maybe if that person had a band where they were screaming, they wouldn't have got to that point. Yeah. And even going into mental health crisis, someone that doesn't have an outlet is bound to go into crisis sooner than someone who does. Uh, right before I had my mental health crisis, I was on a tour. And if I hadn't have had that tour, I would have been at home and it would have come a lot sooner. It staved it off. Of course, it still happened. But that idea of expressing myself every night, 
was keeping the crisis at bay. Yeah, absolutely. I would think that probably a lot of people end up devoting their lives to music or starting bands and doing stuff. There's a reason that you can like trace it back. The equation, bad thing happened, started band. <laughs> probably a lot of people had something like that going on. Band broke up, started to do band. Band broke up, started to do band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. So how does screaming make you feel physically and emotionally? Uh, if I were to try to place feelings to the uh, actual screaming, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the release. But there's also, you know, another thing about it, too, is there is methodology to it. There is control to it. It is like a musical thing. It's not just screaming. It's you know, I spent a lot of time working on my scream. I remember way back in the day when I first was doing it, even back in high school, there was this bridge kind of by my house and I would go there under the bridge and there was a really nice reverberation time of like two seconds. And I would just sit there and scream and scream and scream. And like, I was working on how I was controlling it. In a normal situation, a scream you know, in evolution, it might have been somebody was getting killed or you would maybe you were trying to communicate with someone very far away. You could even have a system of one person on one mountaintop, another person on another mountaintop, and you could have a system of communication like people are coming to attack us. So to me, the communication aspect of it interested me. And so like, you know, trying to get it the way I wanted it to sound, it became something more than just releasing. It became a thing of I want to control this so I can get the right timbre I want try to bring about an emotion for the listener, actually. I knew for myself, listening to certain screams in certain pitches would really have a sort of stronger emotional response out of me from listening to it. And so then I knew what I wanted to try to get, and then I would modify my voice and then see if I could get that feeling from it. There's actually research regarding screaming, among other things, can actually cause frisson, which is like goosebumps. Listening to a band that screams or a singer that screams can actually give you that feeling of goosebumps of like, oh, like give you the chills, you know, in a nice way. It's a very enjoyable thing. And apparently only 50% of the population actually have it, according to research, which is also interesting because in our bubbles, it's like everyone is into music. Almost everyone's like, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, music gives you chills, yeah, but only 50% of the people have that. wonder if it's connected to creativity. Potentially. Someone like me would get the good free song, and then like your grandma would get the bad free song if you're listening to The Locust. <laughs> yeah, uh, very possibly. Yeah. yeah, very possibly. And it's interesting because music-induced free song involve loud sounds, big volume, like multiple sound sources, infrasound, crescendos, and surprise. And of course, scream sounds. The surprise element, so like rapid time signature changes. You don't know who's going to be singing next. An unexpected change from one part to the next. you thought it was going to go four times got cut three and a half and now it got a bridge and it went to some other weird part it's funny because like locust compositions have almost followed all those rules to a t and it wasn't until like years and years later that i was like stumbled upon david Huron's research and like actually met him too 
And it's just like, oh man, you totally like justified like decades of my life. He's like, there's even a genre called screamo. I was like, oh my god! It's not too late to change the band name to Free Song. <laughs> yeah. You and I talked a little bit about behavioralism, the idea of conditioning. Interested to hear your thoughts on that because there is a movement more towards the body-mind environment model, the biopsychosocial model around mental health. I think about it in terms of like materialism, materialists versus behavioralists is kind of the way I compartmentalize the sciences, you know, and which I would include the fields that involve mental health in those categories as well. There's things that we just don't understand about existence, about physics, about so many fields. And as smart as we are as a species, and as much as we've figured out, there's still plenty more that we haven't figured out. The fact that like neuroplasticity exists as this idea, which is fairly new in the grand scheme of things, you know, a couple decades viewed by now, the brain used to be thought, oh, this part of the brain only does this. And then it turns out, well, if some damage happens to the brain, like the physical aspects of it, other parts of the brain can be changed into what they do, or it can appear that they like, like people who have phantom hands, they feel their phantom hands in their face because on the somatosensory cortex, the hand area and the face area are right next to each other. And then it's thought that the brain can rewire, those parts become more sensitive. And so they can sense the neural activity, the synaptic, basically electric energy inside the brain is what synapses are. So strange. It's like we are electrical, bioelectrical, chemical creatures. There's hard evidence that neuroplasticity exists. And so that makes me question people who are really dogmatic about this modular perspective of the brain and also this sort of like very rigid aspect of it. Because in the end, it's like, I think we're still at the point where we need to observe what's happening. To me, that's what behavioralism is really, that's what it is. Let's watch someone for six months and then let's see what happens. Instead of like saying that we have everything concluded and we figured something out from a materialist perspective, let's see what humans do and let's see, yeah, and let's get like reporting from people and see what they say, how they feel. That seems to make more sense at the current point of our, the evolution of our scientific fields, including psychology and psychiatry, certainly. That's kind of why I would say that I lean towards the behavioralist model, because that's my perception of it. I'm not really sure if that's the correct assessment of those fields, and it's certainly pretty broad strokes there. For so long, people have been told that they have something wrong with their brain, they have a disorder, that they have a disease. And in my mind, because I have disorders, uh, quote unquote, for the listeners out there, it's not just about my mind. Of course, there is some component of that, but it's also about my physical body. And it's a lot about my environment. So what's around me? What kind of world do I live in? What kind of things was I exposed to when I was young? Trauma-related issues. So it's so much more textured and varied than just, oh, well, come on in. Your brain's, something's wrong with your brain. Here's some drugs that are going to help it. Absolutely. And it's such a strange time period to be alive. I have so many opinions about large corporations and companies that like profit from things aside from like, you know, people profiting from war, people profiting from other people's suffering. I certainly have critiques of how the pharmaceutical industry works um, around the world and the United States in particular in terms of lobbyists and, and being able to manipulate things with so much money and power. But at the same time, in the end, one would hope that 
they are actually helping people, you know, so it's not like I'm just completely against pharmaceutical companies because they're big evil corporations. If you're going to like do that many things and you're going to be making that much money as a company is like, you better be helping some people out. Yeah. At the same time, it's like, we're still figuring stuff out. There's no one silver bullet. So everyone has to kind of figure out what works for them. First of all, nobody's perfect on the planet. People with supposedly fully functioning bodies, brains, or whatever, can totally make mistakes, can totally um, overestimate themselves even. And then there certainly shouldn't be any stigma with mental health. There shouldn't be any stigma with anyone who's struggling with things, because in the end, we're all struggling with things. And anyone who says they're not, either they've lived a really sheltered life, or they're not honest with themselves about it and everyone else. It's natural to go through stress to go through intense emotional anguish suffering and sadness and those things are certainly natural and you know to a varying degree some people experience it more than others and sometimes if it's debilitating then you know in society then we have things that can help out and a lot of people i think are just undiagnosed out there with all kinds of things i agree and let's look at the symptoms instead of the diagnosis in some cases if someone said to you, oh, yeah, the locusts, they're just because you're playing this kind of music and screaming your heads off that there's something wrong with you. I would say there's something wrong with everybody. <laughs> and then I would say, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe I'd say the other thing first. Yeah, you're probably right. Then the second thing is, and there's something wrong with everybody. And if not, then you're one of the really, 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 really lucky people on the planet. Yeah, I mean, that that's a fair assessment. Certainly, it's natural to have problems. <laughs> And, and to me, it's natural to have a band that maybe helps with that. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Scream Therapy. I'm coming to you from Powell River, a small coastal town in British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klohomin Nation. Doing this podcast and talking to other folks living with mental health challenges has been a huge part of my journey. It means the world to me that you're out there listening. You can sign up for my newsletter and find more episodes at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. That's ScreamTherapyHQ.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Let's talk punk and mental health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care and be well.